Welcome to the Human Experience Podcast, the only podcast designed to fuse your left and right brain hemispheres and feed it the most entertaining and mentally engaging topics on the planet. As we approach our ascent, please make sure your frontal, temporal and occipital lobes are in their full upright position. As you take your seat of consciousness, relax your senses and allow us to take you on a journey. We are the Intimate Strangers. Thank you for listening. Guys, this was a phenomenal episode. I can't understate this. And without exaggeration, this episode will affect your life, your thinking, the way you process your personal goals, your ambitions. And at least for me, the episode and Rob's book demystified so much of my own personal stake in evolution, my own conscious choice to evolve. It helped me understand why I made the choice to take the path I've taken. And if you're listening to my voice right now, you, you're probably on a similar path. Rob is one of the most friendly, warm, kind-hearted people I've ever talked to. So make sure you pick up a copy of his book, How to Be Here. Also, if you're not on our mailing list, subscribe to that. We throw out contests, free stuff. Make sure you get onto our mailing list if you're not already. Find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, at The Human XP. I'm very active on Facebook. If you want to interact with me, find the podcast. You will see me in the timeline. Send me a friend request. I would love to interact with you guys. Thank you guys so much for listening and being part of what we are doing here at The Human Experience. The human experience is revealing the infinite possibilities for your life with my guest, Mr. Rob Bell. Rob, it is a pleasure, sir. Welcome to HXP. Great to be with you. Rob, in 2011, Time Magazine declared you one of the top 100 most influential people in the world. You were featured in Oprah's Life Your Want tour. You're a New York Times bestseller. How did you accomplish this? <laughs> uh, I always say that calling is overrated and curiosity is underrated. Um, I just kept following my curiosity. And, uh, you know, the Japanese have this word, akigai, which means that which gets you up in the morning. And early on, I discovered work that would get me up in the morning. Um, so I just kept following it. And, uh, whether desperation or joy or passion. Um, and there, obviously there's always cost when you follow your joy, when you follow your heart, when you listen to your true self, there's always cost. You're always challenging assumptions. People around you won't understand it, but it's always the best way to go. 
So that's the that's the short answer. Yeah, I love that. Rob, let me let me just I want to be radically honest with you. I I judged your book by its cover. Well, I mean, I judged it <laughs> I judged it by the first 15 pages or so. I thought I thought to myself, I thought hasn't this been echoed through books already written? Is this guy a Buddhist monk? What what is going on here? And <laughs> That that quickly changed when I read your chapter called Blank Page. I I had to beg forgiveness to the book writing gods. I ate my thoughts. I took everything that I assumed back and it was replaced with wow. This guy is on to something. Where where did you find the inspiration to transmit these ideas? First off, uh, your radical honesty is so fantastic. It's 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 refreshing. It's entertaining. I love it. Who is this guy writing this book? I love <laughs> it. I love it. I love it. Um, it all comes out of my work essentially for 25 years has been making things. I first sort of stumbled into the sermon as an art form and mm-hmm. decided I'm going to give my life to restoring and recovering the sermon as an art form, not as a condemnation and guilt advice. A, a device, and not as a political tool, but as a a way to inspire and provoke and comfort and heal and uh, people. And so I noticed that when I thought back upon through my work over the years, there were certain things that were true, um, but it was often from things not going well. It was often from the blood, sweat, and tears that the what you would call successes weren't anywhere near as good a teacher as the shame, as the humiliation and all of the situations where I ended up face down with just a mess on my hands. Um, so all that comes out of um, making a mess of it. <laughs> That's where it comes from. <laughs> so, so you're saying that the the successes in your life didn't teach you as much as the the failures. Right. And what's really interesting, because I started out as a pastor, what I noticed over the years is when people would talk about the defining moments in their life. Um, and I've done this in live audiences. I've said, if, if you were to think of the three or four key moments in your life that really altered the trajectory of your days, right. um, that created spinal fortitude, compassion, that, that brought you to this moment, what would those moments be? People never s- said, like, you know, once I got a pay raise... Or, you know, I went on vacation and then we bought a bigger house. People would always go to, my dad got cancer, my mom died, I got fired. And what people would always voice, and this is, this is around the world, this is students, this is senior citizens, this is people with kids. Like this is, I noticed how many people would say, they would tell about some traumatic event and they would say, I can't believe I'm saying this, I'm, and I wouldn't have wished it upon my worst enemy. But that experience, I even find myself, and the word that they want to say, but it feels so counterintuitive, is to say they feel grateful for it because it was <laughs> whatever it was. And yet that's the word that so many people go, I, I feel weird saying this, but I'm kind of grateful now, even though it was a hell on earth when it happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I yeah. just kept noticing, and one of the interesting things uh, at, at, from being a pastor is I people kept, they invite you into the inner ring of their suffering. Like there were couples I'd never met 
and then their kid is in the ICU unit, the baby's just been born, and it's got a couple hours to live, they call you to stand there with them in the hospital while their child takes its last breath. Like, I just kept getting ushered into the sort of the inner ring of people's lives. And then I would see them a year later and five years later, and it didn't take away or erase that suffering, but I just kept noticing how much, and I, it even seems weird to say it, good would come out of these horrible, traumatic, devastating experiences. And it's almost like you just start to see the world in a different way. That's so profound. Yeah, I mean, yeah. To, to really feel that, you know, and, and, I, and I, feel, I can feel your words and to, to know that the, the suffering aspect of our lives is what causes the greatest, Absolutely. greatest evolution, the greatest change. I mean, yeah, wow, yeah. what a world that we live in. <laughs> right. And I also noticed how many people had almost like lived with a binary of there's the good things in life and the bad things of life. And, and you want to be over in this column and then the bad stuff we kind of don't know what to do with. So it gets banished to the subconscious. We don't talk about it. Um, oftentimes families, workplaces, um, faith communities, uh, off even marriages, there are things that you can talk about and things you can't. There's mm-hmm. like a, like an unspoken code of um, what can be entered into and what needs to be ignored at all costs. Yeah. And yeah. what I kept noticing is that binary leaves people with a, a big chunk of their experience they don't know what to do with. Um, but that when I watched people go into their pain, loss, heartache, and suffering, uh, they often found something really, really profound at work in there. So whether you, spirit, force, God, divine, whatever language people might want to use, or just simply mystery people want to use for this, I kept discovering whatever this is, it's at work in the full spectrum of human experience. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And it's almost like the real task is to learn to pay attention um, in whatever it is. Mm. And to keep your eyes open. That's that that might actually be the job. <laughs> keep your what, eyes open. What do you what do you what do you mean by that? How do we how does a person keep their eyes open? Well, uh, here's one example. I used to go to this uh, school sister of Notre Dame for spiritual direction and she's from this long Dominican tradition of spiritual directors who you sit with a spiritual director and their job isn't to fix your problem and their job isn't to solve whatever you brought them. Your, their job is to sit with you and ask you questions about whatever it is you brought to the encounter. So what I noticed is I would um, make an appointment with the spiritual director and I would go in with some problem because I'm a good American. I got a problem. I want to fix it. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, help me grasp this. And right. she would always be like, hold on, hold on. Tell me why that makes you angry. Tell me about the tension. Tell me why you have a a sense of urgency that this thing needs to be resolved now. What is it in the lack of resolution that most bothers you? And oftentimes I would at some point forget about the thing I wanted fixed because I would look, Oh, this is about me. This is, uh, uh, this is the ego. This is fear. This is wanting to make sure that this person is impressed by me. Um, this is terror that I won't be successful, liked, achieve things. Um, so often, I, so it was like learning learning to pay attention to your own interior life. Right, right. Uh, Which is very different from controlling 
the circumstances and people around you, which is interesting because if you go to an AA meeting, one of the first things you have to do is you realize that you can't control people, places, or things. Yeah. So like, it's like all great recovery uh, movements begin with, you, you know, there's a bunch of stuff you can't control here. <laughs> I mean, and, and this happens to all of us. I mean, Absolutely. we all face this sort of ego challenge and Absolutely. we're all faced with kind of our own suffering, our own yeah. understanding of who we are, what we are, and we're, we're forced to look at it. We're forced to. Absolutely. And if we don't, life just gets harder, right? Yeah, you're, it's in there somewhere. I always tell people like, you, if you don't give it expression and you don't shine the light on it, then it's in there somewhere. Uh, whether it's grief that hasn't been expressed, whether it's just sadness, whether it's anger, it's in, it's, it is in you somewhere and it will probably come out in all sorts of strange and destructive ways. Okay, so I want to I wanna get into your book. I want to talk about the blinking line. And what is, what is this blinking line concept? How does it relate to who and what we are? Yeah, I uh, start the book by telling about when I wrote my first book and uh, I sat down to write it and there's this blank word processing document and the upper left is this line that just is blinking. It's almost <laughs> like it was taunting me, you know, like, who are you to write a book? Um, and so the blinking line is sort of a metaphor for all of our lives. It's the it's the thing that's waiting for you to bring it into existence, whether that's your life, whether that's a child, a business, a project, a mission, a cause, uh, art, science, whatever it is, that there is this blinking line and that the, the question is, what, what will you do with your blinking line? What will you create? And for many people, life is something that happens to you. you so you sort of try and endure it. Um, but the ancient Hebrew consciousness began with this belief that the world is unfinished and that we take part in the ongoing creation of the world and that you are in fact creating your life. Yeah. So what do you want to create? Like, and uh, what I've found fascinating, I do work with a lot of business leaders and entrepreneurs, is how many people would express educated, successful, sometimes wealthy people would express this feeling like, their life was happening to them. I got all this stress. I got all these employees. I got all these bills. Um, how did this modern world with more technology, autonomy, education, options, people have more tools than ever. How come more people feel not empowered but disempowered? Not like they're actively creating something, but like they're passively trying to navigate something. Uh, the, the modern world did something upside down here that we in some ways need rescuing from. I agree. I agree. And, you know, when when I see, and I went to your, your Facebook page and I, and I see these people holding up your book as yeah. if, you know, and I, excuse my American here, but as if it's the Bible. And, you know, <laughs> they're, they're holding it up and they're just, they're enamored. And, you know, I can see why. I mean, it's a really good book. I think that somewhere along the way, this system handed people a set of assumptions that don't actually give you a meaningful life. For example, the number of people are like, well, that's nice, but I have bills. And they've said that, and, and the people around them have let them off with that line. Well, yeah, it'd be nice to... It'd be nice to like go do that, but I have bills. B but even if, even just the second question, what are those bills? 
And what if you lived in a smaller house and you had less rent? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like people do this. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. funny in the live events that I've been doing around this book, I'll do this whole thing about, you know, some people choose to live in a smaller house. Some people choose to live closer to work and walk so they don't need a car. Some people choose to live really, really skinny for a year on as little money as possible so they can then travel. Uh, some people go back to school later in life and they figure it out. Like there are, there are actually more options here and you have more power than you probably realize. And what I discovered is all you need is one new bit of awareness, almost like in your life, there's a knob and you've discovered, hey, I actually do, I actually could turn that knob a little bit. I actually do have a little more power here than I thought I had to create this thing. <laughs> That's all you need to make tomorrow pretty fantastic. And I don't mean that in a motivational speaker sort of way, but I mean that in a significant. But that little piece, that little piece is so hard to get. It's yeah. so hard. Yeah. It, it yeah, feels yeah. like it's worlds, centuries, <laughs> right, right. eons away. Right. And I actually had a whole section in the book that I, that'll probably go in a different book because I realized, oh, this idea is, is way bigger. But that sometimes that first step you are actually crossing over from one mode of, of life to another. And sometimes the resistance, the like why it's so hard is because if you actually follow through on this step, this isn't just a step. You are moving from one entire mode of being to another. No, mm. no wonder that one phone call is going to be in, impossible. <laughs> if you make that phone call, we are now, it's on. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we are now into a whole new thing here. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you, you get into this in, in your book. And why do you think that the, the head game aspect of, you know, being yeah. successful or finding your craft? Why is this such a nightmare? Why do the demons of negative thinking right. plague, you know, our thoughts? Yeah, right. Well, uh, at some level, there, there you probably have a long history of biology of we are tribal creatures. Um, we're 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 hardwired to check in with the with the pack. So probably at some level, there's just a basic we survived by staying together. So um, there's a lot going on inside of us. It's like what what are what are the people around me doing? Um, then and then you think about like in the modern world, how many advertisements we are hearing that and seeing every day that tell us, this is how it works. This is what you need. This is how we do it. This is what success looks like. I mean, we are bombarded. So when, when your exterior is a fire hose of images and associations and words and phrases telling you this is how it works, um, it takes tremendous resolve to listen to your interior which is telling you this is the path, hmm. um, this is the next step. Yeah. And I often find that people will want to talk and they'll have this hairball of hope, dream, fear, insecurity, ambition, goals. And when I just start asking a few questions, it's unbelievable how many times people actually do they, they know exactly what the next thing to do is hmm. and what they're actually asking for is permission. My friend uh, Elizabeth Gilbert is an author and travels all over. And she, the other day, Love her. 
we were driving around in my car and she says, you know what? She says, I think my job is to go around the world handing out permission slips. <laughs> <laughs> and I laughed. I was like, she's like, honestly, all the stuff I do at some level, I'm literally just going around the world, giving people permission slips. That's actually, um, what's going on here, which I think is fascinating because we're such sophisticated, educated creatures. And yet at some level, we're so basic and primal. You know what I mean? You've, no, you've nailed it. <laughs> and I look at it, the way I look at it as is as a sort of mental diet. You know, I've eliminated, oh, yeah. well, I don't so. watch TV. I don't drink alcohol. I don't smoke. I don't do drugs. So, I mean, why, why is this so important? Why is the mental energy that you put into things, why is that so important to who you are? Yeah, right. Intention, intention is nuclear. Like you line up your intentions and you direct your energies in a particular direction. Uh, it, it, is, it is astonishing what human beings are actually capable of. And that can be quite frightening. Um, that, that can be, that can be terrifying at some level. Um, you know, our bigness can be really intimidating, like, because I meet people who have a very clear idea of a thing they need to do. Um, but what's, what's haunting them is, oh my word, if I do this, I'm actually going to be in the game and I have no idea this, this could actually do something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it could. <laughs> and, and, there could be failure and there could be blood and sweat and there could be criticism and there could, I think for many people, they weren't taught that the whole thing is a risk. They were taught preservation, protection, build a little empire and then use your resources to keep it buffered from the outside world. Um, but even that is a risk. So, so I think for a lot of people, simply witnessing to how risky the whole thing is, is terrifying and yet it's true. And if you become comfortable with that, um, the whole thing's a risk. So you, it's, all, it's, it's going to be difficult. Life is going to throw you all sorts of things you never would have wanted it to throw you. So you might as well be doing something meaningful. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. It's going to be difficult. So uh, money will probably always be tight. So you might as well have money tight doing something you love. Beautiful. I love it. I, I really, truly, the, I just, I, I love it. So, I mean, okay, Rob. So this, this, this one hit home for me because I, I find that I trap myself in this box and, you know, running, running this show, my professional career. And, and you talk about your comparing yourself, comparing yourself oh, yeah. to others, yeah. th that there will always be someone smarter than you, someone with more talent than you. Why do you think it's so important that we stop measuring, that we stop comparing ourselves with the success of others? Uh, because you are a unique phenomenon. The universe has never seen you. Um, there's, this, there's this great uh, psychologist, Wendy Mogel, and she says, you should teach your kids from day one, they're totally average and they're totally special. <laughs> Isn't that great? You are totally average and you are totally special. Um, and if you keep those two in mind, you'll be fine. But I think a lot of people is a new idea that you are a unique phenomenon. So no one has ever attempted you. And so what happens is we beat ourselves up. Like, oh, I made a mess of that. Oh, I stumbled there. Oh, I just couldn't get that together. But what were your assumptions? 
Like, did you think that you would nail it from the get-go? You know what I mean? Sometimes it helps just to think about the opposite, which is, <laughs> did you think that you would flawlessly execute this task <laughs> called life from the get? What what did you did you think that this would be effortless? Um, and where did you get that idea? And I I, uh, I like the fact that the Hebrew language has this word tov t o v, which means good, mm-hmm. but it's good, and the good includes light and dark. It includes. Um, it includes the seed rising up out of the earth, but it also includes the burying of the seed. Um, it includes the sun rising, but also includes the sun setting. So this Hebrew word good, which I love, this old, old word, it's this affirmation that your life is good and that includes all the bad. It's a goodness that's wide enough to embrace all what we would call bad. It's all mm-hmm. part of you working out your thing. Um, and so I'll often, like with a crowd, I'll have them all take a deep breath and let, themself, let themselves off the hook for all the assumptions and expectations they had of perfection. Mm-hmm. Like nobody has tried you before. The only interesting question is what are you learning from your failings, stumblings, and all the moments when you thought, man, this is awkward. <laughs> what are you learning? That's the only interesting question. Um, and I find so many people have a, a tape that plays in their head. The tape shows that I'm 45. It's such an analog metaphor. Mm. They have a digital, <laughs> they have an MP3 player in their head <laughs> that is on loop. Uh, man, you really screwed that thing up. You're going to probably screw this thing up too. Oh, you totally let them down. You're probably going to let this person down too at some point. Mm. And uh, so sometimes you have to go in and figure out what are the tapes that are playing What's the loop that's playing in my head? And where did I get the idea that I'd get it right on the first try? And let's move from perfection to, to good. And good can handle all the hiccups and mistakes. It's all part of it. It's all part of it. Yeah. You know, I was, I was, uh, I was doing a meditation the other night, and it was, a, it was different. You know, I, just, I was just kind of laying there. And there, were, there were no real thoughts and... Um, then I had this sort of realization, you know, I I could feel my breath and I was just breathing, you know, just breathing in and out. And I realized, and this, this occurred to me, this is such a huge gift that I am able to breathe, that I am alive, that I have (laughs) life, that I'm able to create that my biggest power is creation that I have the ability to create and destroy. That is such a huge power. Yeah. Yeah. And the great writer, Abraham Heschel, who marked, who marched with Martin Luther King, he talked about radical amazement. Uh, He even said, I didn't ask for success. I asked for wonder. Uh, Mm. And that, and that, the, that what you, what you were describing in that meditation, that ability to stand in awe of your own existence is that it's actually what everybody wants, even though we would like to be successful and, and wealthy and have lots of friends. You know what I mean? The thing you really want is to be like, wow, <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. Look at this. Um, that is actually what we all want. Definitely for sure. And you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because 
you you know we're we're getting toward we're getting towards figuring this out you know now we're 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 assembling this this all of this information as as we exchange this dialogue and the people listening hopefully they're getting an idea of where we're going and what i want to bring up now is what you term tell me if i'm saying this incorrectly the the ikigai how do i say yeah it? yeah yeah ikigai? it's a japanese word ikigai uh and I first heard about it because they were doing studies of where people live longest in the world. And there was an island off the coast of Japan, I believe it was. And they attributed the longevity to a concept of a key guy. These people had this sense that um, a key guy essentially was what gets you up in the morning. Like without something to get you up in the morning, you die even if you're still living. Something within you dies. Sometimes it's translated reason for being. Hmm. And... Uh, and the reason why I found this so interesting is I would I had met people who maybe they got a they got trained in a particular skill, but now the economy has shifted and, and that skill isn't in demand like it used to. Or they got their dream job and then that job got phased out. Or uh, they got injured and couldn't do a particular job, and it brought sort of this catatonic paralysis. Like, what am I supposed to do? Um, and the answer is. Well, we're going to have to figure out now what will get you up in the morning. Um, and that a key guy has this sort of fluid, limber, you never stop figuring it out. And if you actually do achieve some level of success or something, that will simply raise a new set of questions about who you are and what you ought to do next. Mm -hmm. um, and I love this idea of your a key guy is something that's a work in progress and it'll probably always be a work in progress. And don't fight that. That's okay. That's actually healthy. Um, because I'll meet people, uh, where was it? Oh, I was in Miami recently doing a mm. How to Be Here event. Mm -hmm. And a woman was like, I'm a successful lawyer and I'm bored out of my mind. <laughs> and what was so interesting is she already has the next thing that she would like to go try. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. And, yeah. and uh, I remember telling her, you know that probably everything you've learned as a lawyer, it'll probably all come back around and somehow help you in this next thing that you do. Um, it all belongs. Uh, but I think that's the thing about a key guy, which is so helpful for me and so many people is, oh, got it. So if somebody near you uh, gets really sick and you have to care for them, all right, then that's what we're doing now. That's now part of it. Uh, and that's okay. You'll probably always be figuring it out. You know, I think I think you nailed it earlier when you said that. You know, it's kind of like the Matrix. We're 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 in the Matrix, and somehow, our neurologically, we've just you know, we look at like you said, we look at these everyone around us, and we think, okay, well, I I need to do it this way. This is the way that I should be living my <laughs> right, life. Right, right, right. And no one ever gets to the point where they ask themselves, oh, okay, no, I'm not going to do this this way anymore. I'm going to do it my way gonna I'm going to take control of my life and and maybe success you know maybe success isn't part of it maybe success is and the, i love this about what you said in your book that you know success can kind of kill it, you know, the aspect of enjoying your your ikigai yeah I mean, yeah and and it's important to ask questions about what we mean by success because for many people, success is unquestioned scale up and to the right. As long as it's growing and it's getting bigger and we're making more money, then we're successful. Um, 
So part of it is just fundamentally challenging what we mean by success. And it's fascinating to me how many people have bought a vision, a understand, an understanding of success that when you poke just a little hole in it, they go, oh, you're right. Mm. I, don't, I don't actually buy that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, I, and I would say across the board, all great significant movement forward involves some questioning of conventional wisdom. You, you rarely see somebody grow to the next place they're going without some questioning of the prevailing assumptions. And then that always leads to some cost. And maybe just obviously financial, but um, cost like your friends and neighbors don't understand why you're doing this move, whatever it is. But you know that this move is where the life is for you. This is your path. But your maybe friends, family, tribe, coworkers might not understand. There's always some cost, social, financial. Um, the challenging of assumptions always leads to some cost. And all the people that I have talked to and interacted with, when you go back through their story and you ask them, how did you get here? Um, they always tell stories of these defining moments when there was a cost. And they were like, but I knew I had to pay it because otherwise I'd still be back there. It's every it, time. It's it's freedom. Finding Absolutely. your ikigai is freedom. It's like Fight Club. <laughs> yes, everything we know about life is from uh, Fight Club or the last scene of Eight Mile. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, um, I'm loving this, man. I'm loving this conversation. <laughs> really, really fun conversation. And you know, again, the the ikigai, which which is my new favorite word. I know it's it a can, good one can involve honor it can you know it doesn't really i mean you you give an example about a bus driver you know oh and yeah it's, and how the key guy can be something that you're already doing something that you it's already there right in front of you absolutely the just having the perspective this thing that you're doing um instead of thinking about it just like it's a job or it's what i do uh, is there some art or craft or honor and or dignity to it? Um, well, I sell insurance. All right. What does it mean to be the best insurance agent who treats people with uh, a sense of dignity and you respect the human spirit in every person you meet? I actually did an event recently. Um, and, and an actual, like, I think it was an insurance claims adjuster um, raised his hand. Um, and he had this really interesting question about, like, come on, I do insurance. But what's interesting when I began to sort of interact with him is he, he interacts with people when they've had something horrible go wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, man, when I'm by the side of the road with my car not working and I make a phone call, that voice on the other end, when they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, we're going to get right on it. Like everything within me goes, oh, great, I'm going to be okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> that like oftentimes the work that people most think is menial, um, mundane, insignificant is actually the work where the honor and dignity shines through the brightest. Yeah. I mean, and, and do you find that 
even after you know you've you've found your passion, this is your dream now. That that struggle phase, you know, you you you're still going to hit walls. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, it it will just the the challenges will come in all sorts of different ways um and in like in the book when i talk about i happened to stumble into work i love in my early 20s and i could make a living at it so like amazing hit the jackpot and yet there have been excruciating seasons um it has been one challenge after another. So sometimes there's sort of illusion, well, well, if I could just get paid for what I love, everything would be fine. No, you would just have a different set. <laughs> you just have a different set of problems. Uh, <laughs> and I, I often, it just goes back to what you said about comparing. Oftentimes people have in their head, well, if I could just have it like so-and-so. Um, well, let's look at so-and-so's life. Let's actually look under the hood. Let's see what they actually deal with day in and day out. This person who you think if you just had their life. Oh, a bit more difficult, huh? <laughs> a bit more difficult than it looked like on the outside. Um, that however it works, the, 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 the struggle and the challenge and the art of it will always be there. So if you can come to terms with that, my, you save yourself a lot of heartache. I mean, I was going to say, you know, once, you know, once I understand the importance of my craft, once I've found my ikigai, I mean, what, what happens after that? Does, does Oprah give me a call and ask me <laughs> to tour with her or what? <laughs> oh, that is awesome. You know, uh, the joy, like this morning, uh, made my kids breakfast and they were joking about something. And then I took the dog for a run and then sat down at my desk and uh, pushed my way through a couple new projects. The, the work each day when no one's looking, that's, that's the thing. Mm. That's the thing. If you're like, oh, I just want to be on a stage somewhere or I just want to be with Oprah, um, here's the thing. You can just be with Oprah and you'll still the questions, uh, at some point you'd be like, oh, that's Oprah. Like whatever it is, at some point it will just be the thing you're doing and you'll still have all the same questions about, is this where you're supposed to be? <laughs> Do you love the work? Can you humble yourself and wake up this morning and go back at it? Um, everything, no matter how glamorous, at some point it's work. At some point you're sharpening a pencil. At some point, you're filling out a form. At some point, you're going through TSA at the airport again. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> Which I think is so interesting because when, you, when you're inspired by somebody and you hear them interviewed, they rarely talk like, oh, yeah, man, I'm just kicking ass. <laughs> you, know what I mean? you usually hear them talk about, yeah, it was, yeah, it took everything I had to make that book. Or, yeah, that film about did me under 10 times. I didn't know if I could do it. Um, that when you hear them actually talk, it's, it's the same challenges. Sometimes it looks more glamorous. Sometimes it appears more sexy. But then it's, it's, it's the work like all the rest of us do. Yeah, it's, I mean, this is not an overnight thing. I mean, you're, not, you're not going to, it's not like a bill, you're not going to do, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. <laughs> right, right, right. And the people I most admire are people that just quietly do their thing and they do it day in and day out and they just show up. Um, 
when I think about the people that I admire most, the people that a lot of people just haven't heard of. Um, and, uh, that's, th- those are the people who inspire me. So yeah, I have no illusions about all that, uh, big time stuff. And also, by the way, a lot of those people that everybody's heard of, um, they're miserable. You know what I mean? They're just, they're a wreck. Um, so the, I, the joy, I see no correlation between fame and joy. Absolutely zero correlation. Hmm. Uh, go on. I mean, please. <laughs> well, uh, I think there's an illusion. Uh, I see no correlation between joy and money. I see no correlation between joy and location or geography. Um, I have stumbled into people living such beautiful lives of dignity um, with no money in weird corners of the world. I have met people really famous with big houses and millions of Instagram followers who are miserable, like the whole thing is a facade. Um, I have met spiritual leaders who have tens of thousands of people listening to them each week, and they are like a shell of a person. Um, Wow. They haven't done, I mean, there are, so so I've just, and, and I've met people who have been through unspeakable hell who chose the hard road of healing and have a peace and a grace flowing through them. Um, yeah, so I just, uh, at some point, um, I, I just realized, oh, wait, there, there's a journey that you either go on or you don't. Um, <laughs> you either go into the heart of your own darkness or you just keep stuffing it and you keep the facade. Um, you either begin a conversation with your fear or your fear takes over and drives the car. Um, what and, a what a paradox, you know. What a <laughs> yeah. it's but I love it. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, it's it's beautiful. And right, right, once right. You, once you once you start to see it and once you start to really discover what makes you happy, not what makes you rich and famous, but makes you happy, yes. happiness. Yeah. You st- you start life just s- flows. And there's a there's a flow. Those externals. You just they just don't mean what they used to. Yeah. And actually, to be honest with you, you, you telling me that the book meant something to you, I can't even tell you how much it means to me. It's so meaningful. Um, you, you, the gratitude when the work was joy enough, mm-hmm. but the fact that it actually moved somebody is, is like, uh, I call it the frosting. Um, it's, it is... It's like grace upon grace. It is, um, it's like, no way, are you kidding? That is amazing. <laughs> I'm still flabbergasted. Yeah. You know, I've, I've picked up stoicism lately. I love it. I mean, it, it really helps me kind of detach from yes. the, the outcome of external things that I, I can't control. And, yes. you know, but... But in your words, I mean, how do we how do we free ourselves from that emotional chaos of right, being right. being so attached to? Okay, if I if I do this one thing and if this this thing happens for me, I, I'll have it. It'll be there. Yeah, yeah. I try in in the book when I talked about surrendering the outcomes and throwing yourself into it. I think you have to move to uh, some call it unitive consciousness or a non dual awareness that you live with both a detachment and 
passion. And those two often feel like totally different things. Passion is like heart, emotion, you're into it, it matters, you care, you're giving it everything. And detachment often for people feels like, no, this could come or this could go. It's all temporal. It's all fading. It's written in sand. We're going to, you know what I mean? That I, I think part of it is you hold one in each hand hmm. and there are moments, um, there are moments when you draw on the one and there are moments when you draw on the other. And if you lose either, you're, you're, you're going to have problems. Um, so my kids, at one level, my kids are going to make the choices they're going to make. They're going to go out into the world. They're going to do their thing. They are who they are. They're going to grow into independent adults and, and away they go. And if I'm trying to control and manipulate them, that's not going to go well. Um, but then I want to give them the best. I want to be the best dad. I'm cheering them on. I'm totally in. Mm. When their hearts break, my heart breaks. You know what I mean? And it all exists at the same time. And I think often what happens is the modern world is like, just tell me which it is. And you're dealing with matters of the soul. You're dealing with the heart. And oftentimes it's not either or with the heart. It's yes, it's both and. Um, it's this and this. These two things are true at the same time. But yeah, a lot of people, the power of detachment is that moment when you realize how much suffering you've inflicted upon yourself through your detachments. That's a, that can be an extraordinary moment of revelation. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. How, how important is failure? Rob, I mean, how, how, how many times have you failed? Oh I mean, my goodness. Give us, give us your How take. long is this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, failure is like, where do you even start? First off, failure is inevitable. Uh, you're going to make a mess of things. But, but the real interesting thing to me is to challenge the notion of failure. Um, because if you learned from it, if it shaped you in some way, if you more readily now can identify with someone else who has gone through what you went through, then even that failure got subverted by something deeper, stronger, wider, and more powerful. So I'll often hear people say, yeah, but I might fail. And, and I will simply say, oh, oh no, let me, let's, let's make sure we're clear here. You will fail. Um, that is going to happen from time to time. So if you are trying to couch yourself and, and sort of get guarantees that you're not going to fail. It's not a good use of energy. You're going to fail. Just the much more interesting thing is when that happens, um, what will you learn from it and what will it produce in you? And uh, the moment for many people, failure is no longer an obstacle. You are now free in some way. So failure has this very binding quality to it. Hmm. It bounds people up. Um, oh, I can't do that because I might fail. Well, if you knew you were going to fail, but you could try it, what would you try? So you might as well try it. Because um, if you're going to fail, you might as well go down doing something you love. Well, if you don't try, you've already failed. Yeah. Yes. So part of it is it goes back to this good versus perfect. If, if your expectation is you should have nailed this thing from the very start, um, then you'll never get unstuck. And by the way, when you're at a dinner party, and people are telling stories, the best stories are always the failure stories. You know, if you're at a dinner party and someone's like, well, you know, I was kind of always awesome. 
And then I tried some other things and I was really good. And then everything I tried, I was just the best at. It was really just sort of effortless. We don't even like you at this point. Your stories suck. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just not, there's no beginning, middle, and an end. Um, but it's the, it's the, we were stuck in two feet of water and our pets' heads were falling off. And we, you know what I mean? It's the awful, bloody, sweaty mess of things stories that are actually the stories you tell later. Um, and I gradually started realizing this, especially because so much of my work has been speaking in public, is that first something would go wrong. I've had hecklers. I've had drunk homeless people. I had a dog interrupt a sermon one time. I've had um, the power go out. I've had thunder and lightning warnings. I've had the sound system blow up, like everything that could go wrong. <laughs> I was once doing a sermon where I was making salsa while I was talking, and I was chopping the jalapenos, and I forgot that I was chopping the jalapenos, and I wiped my eyes with my oh, hands. Oh, no. And I went blind, full-on black as no. black in front of 3,500 people. I had to be led out by, like, by the hand. Um, so everything, and what I kept discovering is everything within me would stiffen up and fight it. Mm. But then over the years, the next time something would go wrong, I noticed I was less rattled. And then the next time I was less rattled and I noticed that when I went the other direction, when I did, when I loosened and let it take us wherever we were supposed to take us, not only did the audience like loosen up, but some of the greatest moments were when everything went wrong. <laughs> you know, um, in, in surfing, there's this idea that, you know, when a wave hits you and you're under it, and Relax. if you if you panic, right. you have something like ten seconds of air. Absolutely. But if if you just relax, let go, and go with it, you have up to a minute of air. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. If you fight that thing, all that energy is being used fighting it, and you're now now you actually do have problems. <laughs> so Rob, I, I want to you know we're we're approaching the end here, so I want to kind of wind this conversation down with you know d tell us about you know a day in the life of Rob Bell, <laughs> the Time Magazine's most influ influential man of the year. For me, it's about the routine and about what is your what is your routine of things. So uh, we wake up, and we do a big breakfast for we have three kids. Like I do it right, like pancakes, French toast, smoothies. Like we do breakfast right. And then I uh, take my daughter to school. I take the dog for a run. And those rituals are so grounding. It's so centering. It's almost like, hey, we did breakfast right. And if we do breakfast right, you know what? This day is going to be fine. Um, <laughs> and then I, I have a desk that I'm sitting at right now. And I... Uh, I sit down and I work on, there's a window in the morning when uh, there's the window when, when the juices flow on making whatever it is, the mojo's there, the muse. Um, so there's always a couple books in various stages. There's always my next, uh, I have a podcast called The Robcast. Um, there's always the next um, teachings and interviews and and talks I'm doing for my podcast. And then there's, I do a show at a local comedy music club here hmm. in LA in West Hollywood called Largo. So there's always the next show. There's always the next place I'm traveling. Um, and then uh, usually around lunchtime, I'll go surfing. 
Hmm. Or then I sort of save meetings, interviews for the afternoon when my uh, one other when I'm just no good at the writing <laughs> and creating. Uh, and then kids, dinner, Spanish flashcards, Legos. <laughs> um, what do we do? A Dodgers baseball game. Uh, my one son's in a band, so uh, Friday night I went to see him. Um, my daughter loves to go swimming. Like we, we have like a normal life in the middle of LA here with our our family, friends coming and going, and uh, we keep it really. Uh, we talk about living close to the earth. We it's a a real life with my family here, and they're my joy. And so I don't, and I barely travel. I just if I travel, usually it's one night away, and otherwise I fly right back, hmm. so that I'm. Um, with my kids because you get one shot at that so um that's what it looks like yeah that's what it looks like okay so we're gonna we're gonna close on on this question and stick with me for the end after i close but (laughs) if rob if if there is one thing that you could time travel back into time and tell your 21 year old self what would it be i would say take better care of yourself that's what i'd say take better care of yourself um you the the goal is to give from the overflow of what's spilling over the top of your life not scraping the bottom of the bucket every time so take really good care of yourself and then trust that the work that you do in the world It'll, it'll overflow out the top from fullness. Um, that's what I would tell myself. Beautiful. Yeah. Rob, you must get this all the time. I, I love you, man. Will you please oh, mentor me? You thanks. are my, my personal Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is one of the best conversations I've ever had. It's, it's oh, a that's pleasure, so man. You. Thank you so much for you have a big every, heart. everything that you've done. Over Skype. I can feel your heart over Skype. <laughs> I feel, I feel yours. I, I do, man. I, and, and I, you know, I feel like you've, you've captured lightning here. People, it's obvious that people love your work. They adore you. Where can people find your work, your website? Robbell.com. It has, uh, all of my latest podcasts. It has tour, um, the how to be here tour and then where I'm speaking in different places. And then, um, you can see my books, there get signed copies of them um shows i'm doing here in la i also do two-day events Mm. um, where people come for two days like you would come and a a group of us and i do uh for business people for entrepreneurs for creatives for scientists for spiritual leaders for artists i do two-day events um all that info is on my site where we just talk about the things that everybody needs a space to talk about and i teach on all these ideas that we've been talking about in this podcast so all that's at robbell.com cool we will make sure that that is available this is the human experience guys thank you guys so much for listening we will be back next week rob bell it's a pleasure sir thank you so much for being here my pleasure thank you